This morning I'm going to share some uh, various scriptures. Usually on a Sunday morning I would be three, uh, taking one particular passage and working my way through it. And so this morning I'm doing something just a little bit different and sharing various uh, scriptures having to do with the resurrection and then thinking about some of the implications of the resurrection for our life, for our lives. I'm going to read a passage out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the great resurrection chapter in the Bible. Paul is writing and he says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, and we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, or if the dead are not raised, and Christ has not been raised either, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then, also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Before we decide our hope in Christ, we are to be more than all men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to ponder fresh this morning, to ponder what you have done in loving and giving your Son to a lost and hopeless world. And we thank you for the resurrection. We pray that we gain fresh understanding of the implications of the resurrection and the fact for our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. <coughs> it was interesting, just this morning, as we were thinking about physics uh, on... Yeah, a little sound trouble there. All right, I'll speak a little louder. That's not a problem. So I was thinking, just while we're singing those songs, I thought, I wonder if there's some folks here this morning that they think that those of us who believe in Christ <coughs> seems rather foolish to think that somebody actually rose from the dead. And I want to... Speak to that in the sense that, you know what? That's true. It's a preposterous thing to think that someone rose from the dead. And we need to wrestle with that. And I'll address that a little bit this morning as we go through. But I wouldn't want you to think that those who do leave. Don't every once in a while think that it's a preposterous thing that someone derives from the dead. We get it.
Okay. Hear me out. Yay. Okay, well, we'll work on that. So Luke 24, it records that some women went to a tomb early in the morning on Resurrection Day to bring some spices to put on the dead body of Jesus, fully believing that he was still in the tomb. What they found was the stone rolled away. And they were met suddenly by two men dressed in clothes that shone like lightning. And they said to the woman, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And they went running back to the rest of the disciples and they tried to tell them, Listen, the body's gone. Jesus is risen. And we read in each of the Gospels that Jesus himself appeared to many of the disciples in different situations, giving convincing proof that he had risen from the dead indeed. They encountered him, and they knew it to be him, because he made sure that they knew it was him. He removed the option that he was a ghost. He took away their doubts by appearing in multiple times, in different settings, he spoke to them. He walked with them. He ate with them. He touched them. He appeared to men. He appeared to women. He appeared to individuals. He appeared to small groups. And he appeared to a crowd. And reminded them of their own history. In one situation where he walked with two of them along the road to Emmaus, he reminded them of the scriptures and how the scriptures told of the Christ, the Messiah, who would come and die and rise again. And he showed them who he was and that he was the fulfillment of those scriptures. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to Peter and to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 believers at the same time. He appeared to James. He appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to Paul. In Acts chapter 1, Luke records that Jesus, after his suffering, showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. The gospel records him meeting them at the sea and having breakfast with them, meeting with Peter, reinstating Peter, after Peter denied him in the garden. Resurrection, where they gathered in a locked room for fear of the Jews. It says, and Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. He showed them his hands, he showed them his side. And the scripture tells us that Thomas wasn't among them. And Thomas was struggling to believe. Thomas even said that unless I see the nurse in his hands, put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. You know what? I'm one of those people that's thankful for Thomas. He's labeled, even been labeled Doubting Thomas. But that label could be said of most every one of us and most every believing Christian all time. 
There's times in your life, there's times in my life where we find it hard to believe. So I'm thankful for Thomas. John chapter 20 continues and it says this. It says that later that week, after the disciples had plenty of time to ponder and wrestle with their encounter with Jesus and to ponder and wrestle with their unbelieving brother, Thomas, it says they're all together again in the house, and Thomas was there with them. Thomas was just simply a realist. He knew that 100 out of 100 people who died remained dead. And if we're realists, we will face the reality that everyone in this room will face death. Thomas was a realist, and he knew that people, apart from something far exceeding the power of humans, people remain dead when they die. So a week later, Jesus' disciples are once again in the same place, and once again, the doors are locked, but this time, like he said, Thomas is with them. That means... He had to wrestle through a whole week of doubt. While everyone, he had to wrestle through a whole week of doubt while those around him had eyewitness account of meeting Jesus face to face. And maybe you've been in that place. And maybe you felt sometimes the ridicule even of people in your family, in your community, your friends. Because you were having trouble. You were struggling. You haven't had the same encounter with Jesus yet that they have had. So I find it fascinating that they made it through the week. And they didn't kick Thomas out. And he didn't run. And they were still together. And Jesus appeared to them again. And Jesus... appeared to Thomas personally. And he went to Thomas and he said, See, hands, put your hand in my side. And the disciples, you know what? They forgot that when the women first came to them, after they had come from the tomb, they didn't believe. And so the fact that they're still together and Thomas is in their midst, I would encourage us to don't be too harsh on the Thomases in our lives. And when we ourselves reflect more of Thomas than we do of believing. They weren't expecting Jesus to rise either. It's stuff like that right there that separates friends and families. One believes what they consider with irresistible and ear proof. Jesus is alive. And one is hoping to be convinced one day. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Have you heard him say that to you? 
Have you made room to listen to his voice? John goes on to describe the kindness of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the perception of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the gentleness of Jesus, and the understanding of Jesus when he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out with your hand and put your hand in my side, stop doubting and believe. Obviously we get it. Jesus used the very test of proof that Thomas was expecting and wanted and even in a sense said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hand in his nail prints. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You ever stop to think how few people actually saw Jesus with their physical eyes? Heard him speak with their physical ears? How few people, even more fewer, actually recognized who he was and put their trust in him as the Son of God? Two quick passages I was pondering this week that blessed me and challenged me. One is in Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter where it says over and over the description of how these people were living by faith and talking about uh, the people in the Old Testament before Jesus had come. And when they were talking about Moses, it says this, by faith Moses, when he grew up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's edict. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. In Peter chapter 1, Peter records this in chapter 1. He said this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What are some of the things that Scripture tells us? And wants us to understand about the fact that Jesus has indeed risen. And he's alive today. As he was that same day when they met him. He's alive as he was from that moment on. Never to know anything less than full life. Abundant life. Eternal life. Never fading. Never failing life. Apart from God, when humans die, they stay dead. They stay dead, don't they? Humans have no answer for death. Death never lets go. So to see Jesus crucified and to know that he died and then to see him alive again 
is no small matter. We take it for granted. We assume everybody should just automatically believe. We, underst we humans understand death. Resurrection, not so much. Resurrection, not so readily accepted. We live with death regularly. It marks our living. It measures our time. It is a certain reality. And I would submit to you that the scriptures teach us that life, eternal life, resurrection life is also a reality. It too marks our living. It changes time. It too is a certain reality for those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus. Scripture assures us in several places that since Christ has risen from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Death has no hold on him. The death he died, he died once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. And we too, through faith in him, share that life. I would like you to consider some of the ramifications and the implications of the resurrection. The resurrection isn't true because you believe it. You believe it because it's true. We don't create reality by believing something, nor by believing something do we make it true. But when we believe something that is true, then we live in reality. And then the truth has its correct influence on our lives, and that reality shapes us for the purposes in which God has made us. If and when we believe something that is not true, then we live in delusion. And then the truth is against us because the truth cannot be twisted and the truth cannot cooperate with lies. Our relationships will suffer. Our personal lives will suffer. Our minds and emotions will suffer. Our enjoyment of life will be stymied. Whenever truth is compromised, there is suffering. But where truth is lived out, there's celebration. To try to find hope in a world apart from Christ, when one of the fundamental realities is suffering and death. It will be like chasing shifting shadows to try to find hope in a world without Christ. Reality is against that worldview. It does not have Christ at the center. The risen Christ, since he himself demonstrated power over sin and death by rising on the third day, appearing to more than 500 people over a period of 40 days, giving many continuous proofs that he was alive and that he had risen and that it was indeed he was the way, the truth, and the life. It is true. And it's a reality that sin and suffering and separation and death are part of this life. But it's just as true that salvation, forgiveness, and the risen Christ are the conquering realities of sin and death. Jesus' life and death and resurrection is the opposing answer 
to sin, suffering, and death. His resurrection is a victory over death. His resurrection removes the overwhelming power of death. His resurrection bridges the separation of death. His resurrection assures us of the hope of the life through and after death. The Bible is the most realistic book in the world. And it's filled with sin and it's filled with suffering and it's filled with death. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat death. It testifies to the reality of death. But it also testifies to another reality. A stronger reality. A superior reality. A more lasting reality. A superseding victorious reality. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. His life triumphs over death. Death is real. It is true. And the more clearly we understand that, the more we live in reality. And the more we grasp its certainty, the more we will see our need for the life of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It helps no one to try to talk ourselves out of reality or by believing that we can deny it, creating an imaginary one. Reality is fixed. Part of that reality is suffering and death. But another part of that reality is that because Jesus' resurrection, death for the believer is not the final act. Life is eternal and eternal life in relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the reality that God has given us through His Son, Jesus. Let's say, for, for instance, that you've determined that it's impossible to believe that Christ is risen from the dead. In fact, you find it hard to believe in God at all, let alone that he would send his son. You have that option. You can refuse to believe. You can choose to think there is no Savior. But you need to also consider where does that leave you? It still leaves you with the reality of suffering and death. And we have no power over death. Death claims 100 out of 100. Paul recognizes that death is a reality again and again, along with all the other writers of Scripture. He said in Romans, the wages of sin is death, but God's gift is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. He said in another place that death comes through one man, Adam. So death came to every man, but life came through one man, Jesus Christ. So life comes to all who believe in Jesus Christ. Sin and suffering and death, it touches all our lives. It touches all our lives on regular ways. Jesus died and rose that we might believe in him and through him experience his life now, his hope now, his joy now. His love now. His victory now. We never walk, walk alone because of the risen Christ walks with us through faith in Him. I wrote down some of the ramifications. Specifically, in five simple points. Number one, death. Death Scripture tells us because Jesus rose, 
Death has been swallowed up in victory. Everyone in here has lost a loved one. And you know the reality of that. And if you haven't lost a loved one yet, you will. But the Bible tells us through faith in Christ and the power of his resurrection that death has been swallowed up in victory so that anyone who might live in the fear of death while they do live need not fear it as they might think they need to fear it because death has been swallowed up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is good news. That is good news to ponder as you face the reality of the death of your family and your friends and, the, and your own death, that death has been swallowed up in the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number two, separation. Separation is temporary for those who are in Christ. Separation is temporary for those who are in Christ. Those who died in Christ suffer no effects. Only those who are alive grieve. Those who have died and gone on ahead to be with Jesus, they're not grieving. We grieve in hope, knowing there will be a grand reunion for those who put their faith and hope in Christ. The third sin in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sin has lost its teeth. The power of sin to fully satisfy is broken in Jesus' resurrection. The power of sin to stand against us in Jesus' life has been, been disarmed. Sin only has influence where we cooperate with it. And when we stand against it, we stand against it in Christ. And we stand against it in Christ, unconquerable, in ourselves, weak. Sin is no longer the master of the believer trusting in the life of Jesus. Relationships. Relationships need not merely be endless sources of pain and frustration. They are to give and to shape and to sharpen our lives in Christ. Fellowship in his spirit is the ground on which we stand in our relationships. Because in our relationships, because of the risen Christ, we can forgive each other. We can move forward. We can experience community and joy, hope and encouragement. No group on earth, no individuals, no group, no community has the resources for life and love and hope that the body of Christ does in the resurrection of Jesus. And last, as an individual, you were created by God for relationship with him and for relationship with one another. You were not created to live outside of a relationship with God. God provided through his son for relationship with him. He provided life that conquers death. Death tries to creep into our lives at every form, every fashion. It was interesting. You've all seen probably pictures of these trees along riverbeds or the shoreline. 
of a lake where these trees seem to be growing right out of the rocks, right? I took a picture the other day of this cedar tree, and it was on the side of a cliff, sheer rock, and the, the uh, roots were wrapped all through the rock. And I thought, you know what? That, to me, screams of life. The power of life to live. The power of life to continue. The power of life to overcome death in all its obstacles. And that's what Jesus did. He put death to death in his death. And God stamped his approval on Christ's death by raising him from the dead. Every once in a while, death creeps in to my life. In troubling circumstances, temptation, trials in the suffering of my friends or my family, in its fear. But deep down inside, the person in the presence of the Holy Spirit rises up in me and says, death doesn't have the final say, Chris. Death doesn't have the final say. Death didn't win. Jesus entered death on your behalf as the ransom, the payment, the atoning sacrifice sent by the Father God to rescue lost people, people who would put their faith in Jesus. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we do indeed come out of that grave. There's no other power you and I have against death than the life of Jesus, his person and his work. And so his resurrection, we celebrate. We celebrate with gratefulness and thankfulness for what God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, it's, it just it staggers the mind because we're so used to death. Resurrection is just so foreign. It's just so godlike. So it testifies to you. It's your work. It's your accomplishment. It's your power. It's your authority. It's your glory. Glory. Father, you and you alone are the holder of the keys. You're the author of life. You're the Alpha and Omega. You're the beginning and the end. You're the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to learn to trust you to learn to take you at your word and the demonstration of your power and your authority in our lives and in the lives of one another. Father, we're thankful that you sent your son, Jesus. We're thankful that he conquered death. We're thankful that he gives life. We're thankful for the hope that he offers in the face of of our current situations. Lord, we're thankful for that still small voice of our risen Lord 
that echoes deep into the caves and caverns of our life. He is not here. He is risen. And we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. In Jesus' precious name, amen.